Welcome to the Phoenix Cast, a podcast about cybersecurity, technology, and innovation issues in the military. We are your hosts, John, Rich, and Kyle. Rich and I are both U.S. Marines, and the opinions expressed on the cast are those of the host, not official military policy. And the opinions expressed by me are my own, not those of my employer or any other businesses I happen to be associated with. For today's episode, we have a special guest, Jared Lubert. Thanks for coming on the cast. Could you give us a quick intro? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, hi, everyone, and uh, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Uh, my name is Jared, and I'm a digital forensics and litigation support professional uh, with over six years of experience uh, performing digital forensic analysis worldwide uh, for both the uh, United States Marine Corps and my own uh, private practice. My civilian sector consulting practice, coupled with Marine Corps experience, uh, has given me some pretty solid experience in providing litigation support services uh, to legal counsel who need assistance with things like electronic discovery, uh, electronic evidence, uh, litigation issues. And my, my general focuses are typically on mobile device forensics and computer forensics analysis as they relate to litigated matters. Uh, so I've assisted clients in a variety of industries, including uh, energy, manufacturing, and high technology, as well as real estate. And uh, most importantly, I'm a warrant officer for the United States Marine Corps. Whoa. Whoa. So I'm, I'm super excited about this for two reasons. One, we, we've been lucky enough, and we just did a quick count before the cast. We've had eight stars on the cast here in, in just the last couple of weeks, really. Um, so like awesome opportunity to have GOs and, and speak directly to the leadership and, and get that information out there, which has been amazing. Um, however... I must say, you know, my heart of hearts, I'm kind of like a, a, a warrant officer type type of officer in, in my heart of hearts, you know, not in reality, but definitely in the heart of hearts. So to have a woe on the cast and really, really embrace my inner nerd, uh, I'm super excited. So John, be, be, John, I think you are the warrant officerist lieutenant colonel I've ever met. You were the most warrant officerish captain I ever met. So <laughs> th- I think that's probably maintained. I, I appreciate that if that was meant as a compliment. It, so it was, it was. before before we get too nerdy, though, let let's you know for the audience because the the thing I'm really excited about this one is we don't get to, a chance to talk about forensics all that much, digital forensics specifically. So Jared, before we get super nerdy, give me a quick definition since you obviously have a lot of experience here. What's a definition of, of digital forensics? So we make sure we're you know, hitting it dead on here. And, and specifically, what is and is not uh, digital forensics? Yeah. Uh, so digital forensics, uh, looking at it from a, a broad spectrum, is a branch of forensic science. So when you think of uh, like law enforcement or you know, these, these forensic scientists who are figuring out crimes, things, how things happen based on like molecular biology, DNA, uh, you know, fingerprints, uh, hair follicles, fire explosive examinations. Imagine that, but in a nerdier fashion uh, related to like raw data residing on electronic or digital devices. So our job in digital forensics is to identify uh, these this evidence in, in raw form, uh, and we identify, collect, and then uh, preserve. Awesome. And I heard you mention legal support. And the reason we kind of care about that is because in, in general, as you're doing all this digital forensics, most of the time, kind of the concept or idea is that this is going to go to court, right? So you're a little bit of an intermediary. So you speak half nerd and half lawyer. Is that roughly it? That, that is absolutely correct. So we, we take this, uh, this evidence and to uh, you know, make it into a human readable form. We analyze it. 
validate our findings. Uh, and then we basically present it to, uh, you know, people who have no clue uh, what raw data even means uh, and say, hey, this happened and you just have to trust me uh, because I know what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, uh, Jared, that's awesome. So it's kind of like a cross between the TV miniseries Bones and the Matrix, uh, right? So don't bring don't bring media into this, man. Pre- no, pretty epic. Uh, and Kyle's laughing because I'm dating myself, but uh, <laughs> but really to jump in like past the legal part, so I think that's huge, right? We can talk more about that later on. How big of a deal that is to actually provide digitally sound forensic evidence to people who are not technical professionals, so they can actually prosecute people through the due process of the law, um, but. My real question for you up front is, so endpoint security and digital forensics, we really sometimes intertwine these two together uh, as technical professionals. So are they the same? Are they different? Can you just school us on this, please? Sure. Uh, I like to think as endpoint security as kind of uh, proactive uh, you know, things you put on an endpoint, such as, you know, I'm not going to name specific programs, but things that are meant to monitor and detect things uh, once they've uh, hit the box. Uh, digital forensics, on the other hand, is, is typically the aftermath. Something has happened. Now we need to dive into that box and actually figure out what happened in a forensically sound manner, uh, as you were just speaking about. So that's awesome, right? Uh, I think that's a huge kind of thing to call out for our audience because a lot of members of the audience are in the defend, uh, you know, mode or in the MOSs, military occupational specialties that support defense within within the Marine Corps. And so I think it's important that, you know, getting left to bang and doing endpoint security is great, right? And then what you do is come in and also provide all the other people uh, what they need to do uh, legal type actions post post the events that occur, right? That hopefully we're preventing, but when they do slip through, you're there to, to ensure that people have the right information. So uh, that said, you know, I think there's a big discussion around uh, what we mentioned, endpoint security, which is preventative in nature, and then what you do with digital forensics. But can you talk to us a little bit about, you know, is it possible to, everybody's talking about zero trust, right? And not trusting the network transport layers. So in your professional opinion, do you think we can ditch network security logging and then just focus on instrumenting the endpoints like mobile devices, workstations, servers, where the data lives versus where it's in transit? You know, what are your general thoughts? And, and a quick clarification for Rich, I, just to make sure I'm, I'm getting this question. You're talking, can I, all those appliances that sit between the service that we're trying to access and our endpoint, Rich, are you saying... Can we just ignore all those logs? Because by the way, those things are really expensive and difficult to configure. That's your question, right? Can we ignore the logs coming off of that? Absolutely, right? Like, is it more important to look at the data where it resides, where the customer, I'll, I'll use customer or user puts it versus us kind of like tracking it throughout the network with all these logs and all these appliances that we spend all this money on? Uh, you know, I think you're just in a great unique spot as a, as a warrant officer in the Marine Corps, but then also as a digital forensics professional to say, here's what I see from my vantage point. Well, you know, uh, it, it's extremely necessary to keep, to keep the entire picture. Yes, we are there. We're there on the host. We're there on the endpoint to identify uh, how things happen. But having those network logs, those network monitoring services, you know, what it is to be able to track it outside of the, the host uh, and see, you know, where did this come from? 
follow it throughout the network? Did it branch from another host? You know, is it moving laterally? Did it come from outside the router? Uh, having those network logs are going to be instrumental in actually figuring out uh, whatever made it to this host in the first place, how it got there. And I just want to add in there also, one of the really interesting things that I, I've seen from experience is you'll have, say, a certain rule on both network devices and the endpoints, or maybe multiple network and uh, network devices and the endpoints. And it's not a guarantee that even if you have the rule on a device, the rule is written properly, and it should hit on the different attack type, it's not a guarantee that things work 100% of the times. I, I think we kind of sometimes take for granted that, hey, this is digital stuff, so it just kind of works if you do it right. And if, it, if you didn't do it right, that's why it didn't work. But in some cases... Uh, it is possible that you got the exact same rule on two different manufacturers and it works on one and it doesn't on the other. And so having a chance to look at those and compare those things, a lot, lot of value there. And I just kind of want to echo what Jared said, because I, I have seen this previously as well. And it it's a little eye opening the first time you see it. And then after that, you're kind of like, OK, here we are. Yes, I think, guys, that was awesome. And the reason I posed that question is because, you know, in my history, working with large data sets, there's generally the consumers of the data, right? There's the producers of the data. And then there are the professionals that focus on the life cycle of the data in between when it was generated and when it was consumed and transformed. And I think it's really important that the audience understands that it's not just about where the snapshot and state I'm taking of the data is, whether it's on the endpoint, right? Or it's in transit. It's the entire life cycle of the data that you're questioning or examining. And I think that's ultimately uh, one of the things that I just like, Jared, like people who do what you do just have such an awesome, neat skill set that I think sometimes most folks who don't come in contact with the legal aspect of their business or organization, they never get exposed to it, right? So I'm just super excited to continue asking you questions. So I, to this point, I'll just turn it over to, to the rest of the crew to, to keep firing away. And you know, to that point, I think, Jared, for most people, at least in the civilian world, the only time anyone will encounter somebody like you in their day-to-day -day is like immediately to the right of the bang, meaning, oh, crap, <laughs> something just happened. I called my cyber insurance company and they were like, let's get a digital forensics person in there. So I'm actually super interested in your origin story, right, of your superhero status, meaning how did you get started with this, man? Like what, what got you into this? Did you meet a lawyer somewhere and they were like, I could use you on the stand or like, how did this start for you? Yeah. So a uh, slightly longer story here, but uh, I was in a uh, command uh, and, and I got there and the captain, the team lead at the time said, Hey man, uh, we've got some pretty solid guys here. Uh, they all are really good at one thing. Uh, I need you to become really good at one thing. I don't care what it is. Identify a gap become good at that thing and just roll with it. And uh, from there, uh, we kept getting asked from uh, customers, uh, Marine Corps side, saying, hey, uh, we need you to come look at some phones or we need you to figure out how this malware got on this system. And uh, so from there, I built a uh, basically a digital forensic lab uh, within our team, um, got the training that was necessary uh, to go along with that lab, uh, created my own training, uh, gave it to other members of the team. So I basically stood up this uh, this forensic uh, lab, and uh, they called me the mobile forensic lead there where I was at. 
And so, uh, you know, I was really liking what I was doing. I went out to a class that was paid for uh, by the government, <laughs> ran into this lawyer, and uh, he was having some trouble. Uh, we were trying to run some exploits uh, through a Kali Linux uh, for uh, advanced mobile device exploitation class I was in. And uh, he said, hey, man, I'm falling behind. Uh, can you reach over here and help me out? So I reached over, typed some commands on his computer. And at the end of the class, he said, hey, you know, I could use somebody uh, with your skills. And uh, he's like, have you ever thought about starting up your own business? And uh, I said, no, you know, I haven't really. Uh, you know, I'm in the Marine Corps. Um, so uh, that's it takes a lot of my time. And he's like, well, you know, just do this on the side. Uh, so that's kind of where I started. Um you know, going through, beginning my own business, uh, continuing my practice uh, of digital forensics. And the more and more I do it, the, you know, the more I fall in love with it. It's it's definitely, you know, it, soon as uh, I retire uh, from the Marine Corps, I, I hope to just one day stay in my pajamas and just sit down at my desk and just continue. It is the best. I'll just throw that out there. <laughs> I do enjoy it a lot. So. All right, Kyle, ha hands off, hands off. <laughs> so question was the answer to your to kyle's question of how did this malware get on there the answer was phishing right they clicked a hyperlink <laughs> that's tip typically bad hyperlinks Trust, okay so, no links okay yeah definitely no <laughs> links so uh jared i i'm loving this so take me through yeah, day in the life uh you know pick pick a scenario kind of like visualize in your head like here here's a case here's a thing i got called in for so you get a phone call and someone says, hey, map out for me. How does that work? Like, how do they normally say like, hey, blank happened and I need you. Uh, and then, you know, what's kind of your blocking and tackling your, you know, tabletop uh, procedures manual, if you will, of how's, how's this thing get started? Just so anybody who can't really visualize this right now can get an idea of like start to finish what this looks like. Sure, sure. So uh, I'll start off with uh, kind of a little funny, and then I'll actually dive into the actual process that I take. But uh, I'd like to say somewhere around 40 to 50% of the initial phone calls that I receive uh, are either from individuals or spouses or somebody, you know, looking at private investigator type work is actually what they're looking for. Uh, and then the common, I've been hacked. Um, so I need to know what happened. And I was like, okay, well, you know, step one, if you've been hacked, that, that is a crime. So you should probably take this to law enforcement, you know, maybe get a criminal investigator for that kind of thing. Um, so I just want to put that out there. That's not typically what I'm for. If this is like a, a corporate business, like a large corporate company, and they're like, hey, we've been hacked, then we, then we have this conversation. So the conversation typically sounds like this. It's, hey, I've got this client and this is typically coming from an attorney. I've got this client and they have this issue. Uh, we, you know, we need to get all the text messages off this phone. Uh, we believe these employers, uh, ex-employees, uh, ex-employees stole some sort of uh, data from their, their company assets before they left. So now we're looking at like intellectual property theft, uh, that kind of stuff. Uh, so, you know, they're like, can you help us? And Step one is always informing the attorney or the end client on the capabilities and limitations of a digital forensic examiner. Uh, so after that, and we've kind of come to, uh, you know, a solution, what can I do for you? Uh, it, I usually follow uh, what I call the EDR. It is the EDRM process, and that is to identify, preserve, collect, process, review, analyze, produce, and then present the evidence. So it's this 
full process. Um, and, and it's, it's how I walk through the entire, uh, forensic procedure. Hey, uh, Jared. So you said that thing is called EDRM, but then you listed like eight words. So what is EDRM? Right. So the EDRM is the electronic discovery reference model. Okay. So the, okay. the following are the steps uh, that are outlined uh, uh, in the I gotcha, EDRM. I gotcha. And there's no cool acronym for all those not eight things underneath of it. No, I don't think you want to try to put that. Ah, bummer. All, right. all people do not seem to need data processing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I had a, I had a question here because it, it almost ends this way. Have you ever had a, a client or other scenario where you came in for one reason and then started analyzing things and you're like, uh Oh, this is something completely different. And has, has that been difficult for you to handle or is it actually pretty plain and simple? Uh, well, you know, a lot of investigators are kind of faced with things that they don't necessarily expect to find a lot of times uh, going through evidence. Um, so it, it's very common to set out on one specific path and then figure out that, hey, there's something there's something seriously wrong here. Um, you know, and, and yes, I have had that. Um, I've done, you know, complete stop case. Uh, so there, there are things where if I'm actually going to acquire somebody's, you know, iCloud account, somebody's Gmail account, uh, their phones, I, I get written consent from the individual with a witness. And on that written consent, it says, I am a mandatory reporter for anything um, that, that I, if I find something I have to report on, it, it will happen. Uh, just so as long as you understand that you sign your name here. And, and actually, you led me to another follow on question. Is there, a, you know, in the military, we have kind of some of our strange issues. Like we got that we got that bomb card next to every single phone, right? So it's like, hey, if you get a bomb call, here are the following steps of things that you need to do. Do you have any ethical guideposts? Because I, I can only imagine mandatory reporter being one of the things. Do you have a card or something like that that helps you ethically center? Because I, I could see it being really easy. You're like, oh, look, an IP address here and you know all these different little things there. And it's easy to get lost in that sea of data that you're chasing and maybe forget like, ooh, I just saw a, this thing. Stop what I'm doing. Call 911. You know, report this thing that I found. Uh, is, is there anything like that or anything in the forensics world that, that helps ethically guide your decisions? You know, I'm sure there is. Um, I, I don't have it off the top of my head what, what it would be. Uh, it's just really from, you know, having a, a good uh, moral background, uh, understanding what's right and wrong, understanding legally what's right and wrong, uh, and then stumbling upon something like that. You'll know if you see something that's not supposed to be there. So we're going with full MTA, see something, say something all day, every day. And it, it does it. help that like his primary transactions with lawyers. So I have a feeling if he had any questions, there are people that spend their lives parsing questions. Yeah, Jared. So uh, moving on kind of to a next series of questions. I mean, it's pretty epic. You're a warrant officer who has his own digital forensics business. To me, that's amazing, right? So my question, I know you gave us your origin story, right? Where you talked about doing some things on the side, but did you start the business because you set out to solve a unique problem that you were super passionate about or because the volume of digital forensics need is that high, right? It's just so high that people are constantly demanding services like the ones you provide. Right. So I, I would say that I st uh, set out on my, my digital forensic uh, escapade mainly out of need, uh, understanding that I had the, the niche that uh, was needed. 
enough to be a digital forensic examiner. Uh, you know, I was like, Hey, I'm doing this, uh, in the Marine Corps and, you know, I'm being asked now by the outside to perform, uh, my, my skills, uh, my duties for them. And, and so that's kind of how, you know, that's why I went that route. But I tell you, joining into the, the digital forensic community has, has just been a great experience. I think anybody who actually wants to get into digital forensics, as long as they devote the time uh, to doing that, they, they certainly can. The digital forensic community is full of people who are, are willing at the drop of the hat to just you know help you with whatever you need. People writing scripts uh, to help you analyze your data. They put it out there for free. Uh, you know They're posting on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, you, you know, you name it. Th these guys are just out there for you. So if this is something that anybody's ever interested in, they, they should definitely jump on it. And so kind of in, in that vein, since you've got a little bit of civilian experience and it sounds like you also do a bunch of kind of self-study on your own, is there anything you kind of wish the Marine Corps knew or implemented and any recommendations on, on how we as a core could get better from your experience in the area? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's uh, that comes down to recognizing talent. I, I've, uh, I've met some of the best digital forensic investigators, examiners uh, in, my, in my career uh, in the Marine Corps, uh, not so much outside of the Marine Corps, but I mean, these guys are top notch, um, you know, and if there's one thing that I could tell, I'd say keep the, you know, keep the training funds going because, you know, the, these digital forensic classes that, that are being purchased uh, for the Marines, uh, absolutely necessary. Send them to those uh, expensive SANS courses that are going to get them their certifications. Uh, invest in your Marines uh, because they, at the end of the day, are, are the best that we've, we've gotten. They're the best that there is. Um, so uh, I, I would say, you know, recognize your talent. I'd also say if, if I had it uh, my way, <laughs> uh, I would make each uh, team have a particular cell uh, devoted to forensics. I know they exist in onesies and twosies, but if you look at different services, um, they have designated teams for uh, digital forensics. So uh, I think that's one way that we, we could step up. Okay, so just to kind of play back to you, says basically you know, continue to focus on the training and keep going with that. And then also to the best that we can devote specialists uh, to that, to that field so that, you know, there, there's a specific unit that's supposed to do that instead of that's the one thing that you happen to be good at. In addition to the other stuff you got to do for the team. Absolutely. Awesome. Okay. So next question, since, since you're kind of in the generalist incorporating it into the structure. So how do I know when to call you? Because, you know, are you like a plumber where I, I, I generally don't, you know, proactively call plumbers to come out to my house and just see how things are going? I, 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 only, I only call them when the situation has gotten really, yes. Uh, so is it like that or is it more like a dentist where I should probably have you come out, take a look at things, you know, every six months or so? Uh, what's your thought here? Yep. So uh, it's absolutely going to be after the fact of something happening. Uh, so, you know, you realize that there's malware on your system and you need somebody to dive in, identify how it got there, uh, how you can get it off, uh, that kind of thing. So it's not going to be, you know, every six months I need to do a digital forensic checkup. It's going to be more along the lines of, hey, I need your help and I need it now. Awesome. And and uh, kind of it is a little bit in the proactive vein, but has anyone ever asked you to come in and either 
take part in an administrative exercise or or do a uh, pre-negotiation of terms or something like that, a way to kind of not have to deal with, hey, Jared, would really like you to come on. I'm not going to pay X dollars an hour. I'm going to pay X dollars. And you and I are fighting over dollar amounts while you know forensic data could be leaking out by the moment. Uh, is, is there one, do you participate in TTXs? tabletop exercises where we would talk about if we had something bad happen. And then two, it, does it make sense to kind of come in maybe ahead of time with a uh, contract or something along those lines so that I can just know I can ring you up and we're not talking about details. You're just diving into nerd stuff or, or these things that you don't generally do. So those are things that I typically don't generally do, uh, but there are a lot of uh, forensic examiners who do do something like this, where they will create a uh, some sort of contractual agreement, say, hey, you know, uh, if you provide me, you know, 45 minutes a quarter or 45 hours a quarter, you know, uh, then we'll pay you X amount of dollars. And all I, all I want to do is to be able to have you on 24-7 standby. Uh, in the case that something goes wrong. So I know a lot of people who do that. Um, and I know a lot of companies who do consulting where they'll go out to companies and you know try to identify vulnerabilities on the network. Uh, but again, that's gonna be more of like your network security monitoring teams or uh, you know, not so much digital forensic examiners. There's like a person more appropriate to handle that task. Right. Okay, yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. So uh, kind of in the next thing that popped into my head here, you have access to, I would imagine, a shocking amount of information. And so immediately that has me kind of thinking privacy. So in, in that vein, how do you handle, in, in your civilian job, uh, how do you handle privacy concerns? Uh, is, is this something where you have a pretty good guiding framework? Is it kind of like, hey, you'll know it when you see it? What, what should you say to somebody who's thinking, hey, I would like to bring in a forensics expert, but man, it's a lot of information and I'm not sure I'm comfortable with that. Sure. Uh, so if there's any individual that's coming to a digital forensics examiner, they should probably be coming through an attorney first. Uh, no, no individual is going to come to me. And if they do, I, I make it a point to tell them, uh, you know, understand that I'm going to see all the data that's residing on whatever it is I'm pulling, whether that's a cloud account. Uh, or a mobile device or a computer. Uh, I will have that information made available to me. I make them sign that form, as I mentioned before, the consent to acquire, um, so that they will understand that I will have access to all their data. Uh, and I can put in there, you know, if you're looking for something specific, I will only look at that, uh, but understand the data will still be on my machine. Now, I recommend people go through attorneys, through lawyers, uh, because once they do that, uh, every communication that I have with the attorney or the lawyer uh, is that attorney-client privileged uh, information. So I'm not allowed to share that information with anyone else. Uh, I do not have to give that information to anyone unless there is a subpoena or, or of, of sorts. Okay, excellent. I think that, that probably pretty much answers it. And, and just to add one thing in there, though, uh, that is excluding any mandatory reporter type of things, correct? Absolutely. If I find something that's uh, mandatory, uh, you know, reporting, uh, then I absolutely stop case. Uh, I do not alert uh, typically that I found that. I alert the authorities uh, and say, you know, this is who I found it on. This is what data set I found it on. And then I forensically preserve the evidence uh, as in like make a second copy. And the fact, uh, you know, one mysteriously goes missing or something, I have another one. Excellent. I heard uh, Western Digital uh, users may be having some <laughs> troubles here recently. Ooh, that's a bad leak. 
Topical, if you're a Western Digital user, you should unplug your drive and let it sit there until there's a patch. Just and, heads up. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you should Google Western Digital right yes. now. Yes, yes. It'll be the top Google search result, I promise. Uh, all right, well, perfect segue into more nerdery because I, I want to ask you, Jared, like, you know, you mentioned building a test bench or a workbench when you first got started with this. And I wanted to understand, like, what is your toolkit look like, right? I'm imagining you with your cape flowing in the wind and just hacker tools strapped to your belts. Um, but I imagine it's something much less Hollywood and much more sort of boring, but not to this group. So what is what do you use to perform forensics? Is there special hardware? Is there special software? Like what's the toolkit? Yep. Uh, so I have uh, typically um, on hand a two hardware devices. One is a Tableau imager and the other one is uh, Celebrite. Uh, acquisition uh, tool. All right, that's a lot of words. What do those do? Yep, Uh, so they are just forensic hardware uh, tools that basically you plug a phone or a hard drive into one end, uh, and then it creates a raw or E01 format of that, uh, and then provides it a hash value uh, where you can then verify uh, the hash for forensic soundness. So it's just a way for you to grab all the bits and bytes in their exact format and have a copy of it so that you can work with that and not have to actually work with the device or the drive anymore. Absolutely, Perfect. yeah. You okay. n- never want to work with the original image. Got it. So uh, with that, uh, jumping into software, uh, I do use Celebrite. I use uh, Magnet Axiom. I use Belkasoft. Uh, those are all kind of like my top three softwares that uh, are, are used for ingesting those images that I've just created with that hardware, uh, ingesting it in, analyzing it, processing it, uh, and then it breaks it out in kind of a human-readable format saying, hey, uh, we pulled this out of this database, and it's uh, it's a text message. Uh, and it'll, you know, that way you can kind of group all of your text messages, your pictures, so on and so forth. Uh, but I also rely on a lot of open source tools. Uh, those are the things that I was talking about when the forensic community, these guys who sit there and build in the little bit of free time they have, you know, code this, these, uh, these forensic software programs for free and then give them away on things like GitHub. Uh, so uh, I rely a lot on open source software and those uh, heavy hitters. Okay. So I want to take this one step further because if there's one thing that we probably over talk about on this cast, it is the cloud, right? The the infamous, the cloud. So when you don't have access to a drive, how do you perform digital forensics on cloud technology? I mean, it's more and more uh, prevalent and everywhere. Um, if you're going to, you know, if someone is storing their text messages, or their emails on a cloud mail service or a cloud messaging service, how do you get in and work with that? Yep, absolutely. And I, I see this all the time. So a lot of times people come to me and they'll be like, hey, I need all the text messages off this phone. Well, uh, these phones have this setting that says, I want to back up my messages to cloud. So as soon as they press that button, you know, back my stuff up to the cloud, you're only getting a handful of text messages from that device. Everything else is in the cloud. So I will utilize uh, those software um, companies that I just mentioned, uh, where I can actually log into the software and enter in a username password of that person, whether that's iCloud, whether that's Google, it'll perform a two-factor authentication. The other end uh, gives me that code. I go in and it acquires, you know, specifically I can say, hey, I only want to see text messages. I only want to see files. I only want to see photographs, that kind of thing. Uh, So the tool is really great. Uh, It kind of gives you exactly what you need and makes it easy for the examiner to get that data. So generally speaking, whether you're working on a physical hardware device or working in the cloud, it's all the same tool chain and it's all the same general process. It's just you're pointing it at a different destination to grab the original source data. Absolutely. 
Okay. So as we start talking more and more then about, uh, you know, bridging the gap between the civilian experience that you have and the military experience that you have with the Marine Corps moving to cloud in so many different areas and with so many different agencies and, and people interested in how we do this sort of stuff in the future, whether it's compromises or investigations or, or whatever, what do you see, like, maybe the better way to ask this is, do you see any gaps in how we're doing it today? And any recommendations that you would give to the average Marine Corps digital forensics expert listening to the cast? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I mean, the gaps that I see right now is just, uh, you know, lack of knowledge. It's the fear of the unknown. Everything's moving to the cloud. And, you know, we just graduated to Windows 10. So, uh, you know, I just, I think the more that they're, they're providing this training, uh, because the cloud training is now coming in in place of, uh, you know, network security. It's coming in in place of the digital forensics. Uh, it's coming in right there with it. So you get like a Xur, uh, tra uh SANS training. Uh, so people just need to, you know, dive into that. And uh, just to, so the, the way I heard that, I, I just heard you say, sounds like uh, identity is wickedly important in the cloud. Just wanted to make sure that that, that was the point there because it's basically yes. like having, because you're saying your cloud identity is almost like having physical access. Because I didn't hear you uh, say, oh, well, the cloud's completely different. I don't get any of that data. You said with the right login information, look what I just got. Uh, so the, cl the cloud is an extension. It, it, think of it as a, a removable arm. Uh, to somebody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We uh, okay. we have mentioned on the cloud before that, uh, or on, on cloud related casts before that the, the cloud has a lot to do with identity. So it's it's interesting that every different SME that we bring on generally mentions the same thing as being kind of a big deal. Yeah, we, we I think it was our first episode where we talked about what's the hardest things to adopt with cloud, and identity was the number one thing that we talked about. And uh, you know, Jared, it sounds like you're talking about you are essentially a, a man in the middle attack, but by request of legal authority to be that man in the middle to get access to the information, like in, in a positive way, right? You're, you're taking, right. you're using the same general methods that a malicious user would use to get access to people's data. And you're using that to perform your forensic analysis. Absolutely. And, and you know, to go back to uh, the Marine Corps moving to the cloud question, I, I just want to reiterate, I think we're on the right path and uh, I think we're moving in the right direction. The, the Marines are getting the training that they need and, and we will get there. Uh, and it's just going to be, you know, just like we would secure our physical networks, uh, we're going to we're going to come up with ways to secure our, our cloud hosted networks as well. Um, so we'll get there. Yeah, Jared. So thanks for that. I mean, that whole conversation, I think, is just super enlightening for our audience and, and for people who are just joining and listening to the cast. But uh, along the lines of innovation, the Marine Corps moving to the cloud, I kind of want to turn the map around and talk about you a little bit in your company. So, you know, where do you, where do you see the future of your company going? in the next five to 10 years. I know we're talking about cloud here, but are there any big plans on the horizon for you specifically that, that you're thinking about? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, based on everything that the Marine Corps has done for me, uh, I, I want to do the whole, the whole give back. Uh, so my, my company, uh, you know, when, when the time comes, uh, it's going to be, you know, something like uh, hiring, hiring heroes or the, uh, that kind of situation where I, because I know that the, the guys I've ran into in the Marine Corps, the digital forensic examiners, they are the best of the best. And you, you can pick and pull, uh, you know, the best of the best out. I want to be able to provide some sort of platform uh, for these digital forensic examiners who want to get out. They want to do digital forensic examinations, investigations in the civilian world. Uh, so I want to provide a training pipeline for them. 
I want to get them real world experience working with attorneys, uh, sit in on cases, uh, make that engagement process, that communication with the attorneys, get that real world experience. And if they're a really good fit, keep them at my business. And if I I think that they're a better fit somewhere else, push them out to a different company. Uh, But, you know, get them that badge, get them that real world experience uh, so they have uh, to put on the resume. So that's kind of where I see this program taking place in about five to 10 years. So like skill bridge with a uh, forensics branch kind of. Exactly. Awesome. So, hey, I, w- I want to uh, kind of tack on to Rich's question here. So say, you know, fast forward, you know, let's call it 10 years, uh, you're you're retired uh, and you just hit a windfall. And, and let's just say the technology stays the same. You know, we're, we're 10 years later, you're retired, so you're not in the Marines anymore. And you hit a windfall, you know, five, $10 million lottery. And you're going to take that money and go full forensics nerd. What do you take that money to see the company to fix? Like what, what is the big, if I had this in forensics, oh my God, I'd corner the market. You'd be the only well, show in town. You could solve the like really difficult problem. What, what would you choose to do? Well, a lot of it would be the acquisition of you know, all the tools that are deemed that I deem necessary. So, I mean, there's a whole, there's a whole slew of digital forensics out there. There's different types such as, uh, you know, network forensics, computer forensics, mobile device forensics, cloud forensics, memory forensics, even vehicle forensics. We're talking like in, infotainment systems and, and that stuff is not cheap. Uh, so one, you know, acquire the tools that are necessary to perform the services. And probably the next would be uh, the training. I think training is paramount. So getting everyone that works with you, um, you know, get them the training that they need. Uh, get yourself the training to be able to, uh, you know, fight the fight. Okay, so you see your company essentially being orchestration of all these best of breed tools into one, you know, uh, Skynet type uh, forensics. You're scaring me already. Uh, oh, one yeah. Skynet that, type cool, system. No, 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 no Skynet, yeah. none of that. And <laughs> and he's gonna, he's going to train people to be even better at each of the individual things. That sounds both lovely and scary at the same time. <laughs> so okay, so so moving on. Uh, what do you? What did we? What do we missed here in the line of questioning so far? Or what? Are, what are some important things about digital forensics that we should know? Maybe, maybe not as you know the forensics me like you, but maybe as someone calling you. Like, what do we want to know going into this engagement? Uh, you know, it kind of used to be unplug everything, shut it down. And I think that kind of deprecated pretty quickly to unplug it, do not shut it down. Um, any, anything, you know, like has that guidance evolved? Is, is there something more that you're like, oh man, if my clients just knew X, Y, and Z, or God, I wish the Marines knew, you know, A, B, and C, this, this would make us much more uh, successful here. Sure. So civilian side, uh, I would definitely say, you know, Memory uh, forensics it is plays a big role, and especially in things such as uh, malware or intellectual property theft. So, uh, not shutting down that computer. Uh, step one, uh, you you can isolate that computer, but you know let's not shut it down. Two, uh, mobile devices. Yes, uh, I understand that you want text messages off of your phone, uh, but that doesn't mean that you should probably uh, you know erase everything else that's on your device because you are tampering with all the evidence and you're probably not going to get the information that you need. Um, if you think you need a digital forensic examiner, uh, you probably do. Uh, is step one. Uh, now, as far as military goes, I, I think we're on the right track. Uh, we've kind of went away from the whole you know unplug it, turn the computer off, isolate it from the network type thing. Uh, you know, maybe attach it to a VPN so it's on a different line. 
uh, <laughs> separated, you know, logically, not, not physically. Uh, but I, I think everybody's on the right track, but, you know, as far as like the most important thing, um, that you should probably know about digital forensics, uh, is that even though we have all of these tools, we have all of these software programs, uh, doing a lot of the work for us, it's still very important for us to understand what those tools are doing. Uh, and validate all of our findings, whether that's I see something on one platform and I want to move it to a different one just to say, okay, yeah, this is the same data. It's processed correctly, uh, but also manually, you know, digging through hex, pulling timestamps out of hex, make sure that they're read appropriately. Uh, you know, if I, am I taking timestamps off of a Mac computer and reading them on a Windows computer, uh, it's going to change your timestamps. So these are all things that uh, you need to be aware of. What are my tools doing? And can I validate my findings? Uh, because when the moment comes down in court and they're like, you know, well, what makes you an expert? Uh, you need to be able to tell them why. You can't just be like, I understand how to read hexadecimal. I am an expert. It's like, because, <laughs> because I said right, so. Because I said Do you see these red bars? That's why. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can't use the warrant officer bars in court, man. That's a major disadvantage. I, I, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> So it sounds like um, we're going to follow the same general safety rules as like safety glasses. If you ever have to say to yourself, should I be wearing safety glasses for this? The answer is always yes. And if we're going to go with the digital forensic route, if you think to yourself, do I need to legally get a forensics expert in here? The answer is always yes. <laughs> I would go with that. Okay. Yes. Okay. That sounds <laughs> simple enough. I like that answer. And, and I did have one other follow on. So you said, you know, hey, there's there's a there's these automated processes and they're awesome, but double check their work every now and again. Uh, the final kind of follow on I have for you here is, it, is there a decent amount of just creative and adaptive thinking that goes along this with this as well? Uh, you know, I, I would imagine there's a decent amount of the tool sol solving the problem for you, but I got to think that there's a decent amount of creative thinking. Uh, can you talk me through that a little bit? Uh, sure. So, uh, you know, a lot of times uh, we'll get a case and, you know, I'll process it with all the tools and I'm still not getting what I need, whether it's a special case or maybe the artifact isn't supported in the software that I'm using. And it automatically jumped to, well, now we need to create something to do this. Or better yet, maybe we need to find somebody who's already created this, so I'm not reinventing the wheel. So, you know, a lot of time you need to be able to understand what it is you're missing, how to go about finding that. And then, you know how hard it is to to get exactly what you're looking for in Google. You know, you got to tailor your Google searches. Uh, so you just need to be able to under understand what it is you're looking for uh, and try to find somebody, uh, you know, whether that's stalking them on Twitter or LinkedIn or Facebook or something and following their, their GitHub pages. But, you know, you just have to stay relevant in the field to understand, you know, what you're missing out on. Awesome. Thanks. So, and yeah, yeah I'll, I'll echo that of like, there is someone on Twitter or uh, you know, all the different places that are reachable via Google, like somebody has the answer to your question, uh, most likely. So just kind of getting out there, knowing how to search it, knowing where to look is, is a huge, uh, huge part of it. And Kyle, you had something? Yeah, Jared, do you have any recommendations on sort of, you know, um, I'm going to date myself a little bit here, but if I was like going to subscribe to the RSS feed of new ways to hunt threats by doing digital forensics, uh, you mentioned, you know, following people on Twitter, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that if I Google like best digital forensics people on Twitter, I'm going to get a dubious quality result pass. So do you have a personal recommendation of anyone that you follow on Twitter or you feel comfortable sharing on the cast or any methods that you would say, what's the way you stay current? 
Yeah, so uh, I read a lot of blogs uh, from a lot of different examiners. Uh, just just to name a few, uh, you know, I bookmark these um, that I come back to frequently. Uh, but it's uh, like you know, Alexis Brignoni, Heather Mahalik, uh, Josh Hickman. Uh, those those are just a few of the people that I follow regularly. Uh, to include Sarah Edwards, so uh, they all bring a different slice of the pie. Uh, so talking Sarah Edwards, she's she's full on Mac forensics. Talking Heather Mahalik, she's full on uh, mobile device forensics. Alexis Brignoni, he's just awesome. Uh, you know, and, and the same with Josh Ekman. They're they're just doing this research for the digital forensic community, and they're blogging about it. And they've created web pages that have uh, tools that kind of tell us, you know, what tools do we need to use for certain artifacts, uh, so on and so forth. So a lot of these guys are doing this and uh, already and. Those are the people that I would recommend to follow. And if you start following them, uh, check out their followers or people they're following uh, because th that'll get you where you need to go. And, you know, uh, I want to do another shout out to Brett Shavers. Uh, he's also a uh, United States Marine. So uh, I, I get a lot of information from his website, uh, defer.training. And listeners, we will put all the links to these in the show notes at the end, because I'm sure as you're driving or out jogging or doing whatever you do while listening to this, you did not write all that down. So we'll make sure we have some, <laughs> some blue links you can click on that you shouldn't trust, but you should still go to. Uh, we've got you covered. So we've come to that point in the cast and it is time to grab Kyle's hot, hot take. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to tell a mini story in my hot take today to come back to something that Jared said earlier that I want to stress. So a couple months ago, I ended up needing to change some locks, uh, like change the key to some locks. And I, I called the locksmith to do this. And the locksmith came out and I, it was like a boring Thursday morning or something like that. And I ended up talking to the locksmith and was like, can you just show me how you do this? I'm super interested to learn because I like learning all this kind of stuff. Physical security is always super interesting. And over the course of what could have only taken 10 minutes max, he was like, yeah, this is exactly how it works. And he pops open this tool chest, basically, and it has all these little tiny pins in it. And he's like, you just got to find the type of key lock that you have. And then the key itself has a code on it. And you just put the pins in in the order that the code's on the key. And it was this insane, mind-blowing thing for me where something that I have used every day of my adult life, a key and a lock to open something, I've never known how it worked on the inside, right? And it is a trivially basic thing. Like it's incredibly simple to change the key in a lock as long as you have the right tools and the kit to do it. But I had never known how that thing worked. And so I was very intimidated by changing locks to the point where I was like, I'm going to call the best locksmith I can find to come change these locks. But the point of the fact is Jared mentioned something earlier is focus on the training of this because he operates in a microscopic world. And I mean that from a size of the industry perspective. And if all of you listening to this cast, I, I bet most of you were like, I really don't know how digital forensics works. I've never looked inside that door lock to understand how the key functions. But there is a, a specific set of tools that takes training to be good at. And once you learn that, and while, don't get me wrong, this will be more complicated than learning how to key your own front door lock. But at the same time, the toolkit is there and you need the training to go with it so that you can, you know, be effective for customers and be effective for the organization. And I want to double click on the training aspect. And I know we harp on this so much on the show, but my hot take today is please get your Marines to training. It is the best thing that you can do for your organization. It is the best thing that you can do for the lifelong skills of your Marines. And I have to just stress, thank you, Jared, for double clicking on that. Learn how to turn and key your own lock. It's basic, right? But take that idea and apply it to everything that your team does in the digital forensics world. 
Awesome. And I don't know if it's because we have a warrant officer on the cast, but Rich's knife hands have been epically low for the day. So Rich, what is your knife hand take for today? Oh, John, thanks for teeing me up, brother. <laughs> so the knife hand moment of today is all about recognizing the importance of what somebody taught me at a large data company, data lineage. So what do I mean by that? Metadata about data is super important. So tracking data or its lineage from data producers to data storage solutions to data consumers is paramount in an age where data is the center of gravity for all organizations. Uh, today, Jared talked about the importance of never doing transforms on the original data. You do that with copies of the data. So dear listeners, you need to understand data lineage in your organization, especially in the Marine Corps, where getting data from sensor to shooter may mean life or death in the defense of the nation. So to that point, uh, Jared, I just want to say thank you for what you do in both your public and private sector careers uh, to keep our country safe. Really appreciate your time on the cast. Yeah, thank you all so much for having me. It was, uh, it was a blast, and uh, hopefully we can talk some more. Jared, thanks for joining us. And dear listeners, thanks for listening. You can connect with us on social media by going to Twitter and following at USMC underscore T-F-P-H-O-E-N-I-X. That's USMC underscore Task Force Phoenix. Our editor is Sarah Clarkson, and marketing support is provided by Jake Osborne. You can support the cast by going to Apple Podcasts and giving us a five-star review and an accompanying hot, hot take. And with that, we're out.